What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the new Evangelicals podcast. It is great to have you. Thank you for listening to the show. It means so much. If this is your first time listening, I am the host, Tim Whitaker. It's great to have you here. Thank you for taking time out of your day and choosing this podcast over the the thousands of other options. It means a lot. On this episode, I have quite, wow, quite the podcast. I just finished the interview. I brought on Julie Ingersoll. She wrote the book, Building God's Kingdom Inside the World of Christian Reconstruction. I need you to understand something in this episode. If you've been wondering, like, what, what is the glue that holds so much of the Christian nationalist rhetoric together? I, you know, I, I, I see these pieces. There's like this homeschooling push. There is this take over the culture push. There's, there, there, there's this push to, to get rid of public schools. There's this Trump love. Uh, then there's like the, the, this theology, but it doesn't all agree. Okay, this podcast will help you understand the current, the foundation, the waters that so much of this is swimming in. So I really recommend listen carefully. Julie is an amazing writer. She teaches religion on a college level. She's an academic. And this book that she describes is so informative. I'm actually going to put a link in my show notes so you can pick it up, get it on audiobook, get it on a hardcover, whatever you can do, because it really puts pieces together um, to let you, to kind of inform you regarding the ideology of Christian nationalism and really what the ultimate goal is, which is, in my opinion, and in, and in Julie's opinion, who has a lot of experience in Christian Reconstruction, uh, to remake America into a Christian nation based on Old Testament law. And if that's not terrifying, I don't know what is, but it's a reality. Reality is something we have to be aware of, so buckle up. Here we go. That being said, as always, thank you for supporting the podcast. We are a crowdfunded nonprofit. We were able to do all this work because of the generosity of community people like you. Without donations, holding space for our community, making the podcast happen, making all of our other content happen on Facebook, on Zoom, on Instagram is not possible. So if you want to help us out, you can donate. All donations are tax deductible. It directly impacts the work that we're able to do because it's fuel. It is the fuel to the engine. So thank you so much for donating. If you can share this podcast, give us a rating, give us a review. That would also mean so much. And of course, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mad Priest Coffee. We are massive fans. They, they roast amazing coffee out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. They poke some fun at evangelical culture, and it's always a good time. So go into our show notes, click on the link, pick up some coffee, type in TNE20 in the show notes. Wow. I say this every time. Type in TNE20 in the checkout and you will get 20% off your order. All right, friends, without further ado, here is my interview with Julie Ingersoll. Have a great day. Julie Ingersoll, it is great to have you on the podcast. I actually uh, heard about your book from a friend who read it um, maybe about a year ago. Maybe less than that. And um, and uh, he said, you have to read this book. So I, I have it. It's on my list to, to get to. And I'm really honored to have you on the show. So thanks for making time. It means a lot. Well, thank you. It's nice to, it's nice to be on your show. Absolutely. I can't wait for you to read it. I'd like to hear what you think. I, I am, I, I'm like, I'm not sure if excited is the right word, but like, I, I know I, it's one of those books I have to read to understand kind of what's going on in the bigger, I would say maybe evangelical narrative. So I, I, it is on my list to, to read. Um, before we kind of dive into the books, I have a lot of questions about it and, and, and about, you know, just what, what your work uh, was based on. Who is Julie? I'm kind of curious, like, did you grow up in evangelical spaces? And then what, what work do you do now? Um, as I believe you, you, you work in academic circles. Is that correct? Yeah. I'm a university professor. Oh, wow. Phenomenal. Yeah. And, and what, what, what do you teach? I teach religious studies. Okay. which means almost none of this material because <laughs> it's a really small program. So I teach a lot of comparative religions. I do get to do um, religion and culture and um, religion and violence. And oh. so sometimes it touches on my own research, but usually not. And I'm kind of reticent. I, I, we joked it before we started recording that um, New Englanders tend not to talk about themselves much. I'm very reticent to assign my own work to students. Um, it, it feels a little coercive, even if I set it up so they don't buy it. But it also stifles their ability to actually engage in critique, I think, because they're mm. a little bit in awe of their professor who is an author, which is a weird thing. Um, but also, I think that they feel intimidated by that in ways that I can find others pe other people's work that can do the same things at the level that I'm talking about. So my, my students don't usually read my work. Okay. 
Fair enough. And did you grow up in like a Christian environment or not so much? Like, what was that like for you? Well, I grew up in Maine okay. in a little um, Episcopal church there in Bath. I, I grew up, I was baptized and uh, confirmed and married at Grace, Grace Episcopal Church in Bath, Maine. Um, my mother is very uh, all in on that church. It's, she's been going to that church since before it was built. Wow. Um, she's their oldest. She's now their oldest um, uh, and longest member. And uh, I never was all that into that church <laughs> or any church. Uh, yeah, like growing up, it was, yeah, I went because she kind of made me go. Um, but in college, I took some, I actually took a comparative religions class and went, mm. wow, this stuff is really interesting. Yeah. Maybe I should do more of it. I did, a, I did it for a gen ed course. Not, I was a political science major. Um, and when I started studying religion, I started kind of doing interviews and field work and I, I spent a lot of time studying the Unification Church, and my family was quite worried that I was going to become one. Um, uh, I have relatives in Gloucester. If you know anything about Unification Church, they're based in Gloucester, Massachusetts. So we'd go mm. for Thanksgiving, and I'd leave the family dinner and go hang out with the movies because I wanted to know about how they saw the world. Sure. Um, but in uh, as I got further on in college, I, I encountered Christian Reconstructionism. I didn't know that's what it was, and I just knew it was a form of sort of uh, Presbyterian Reformed Christianity, which is, uh, in my view, more intellectual than many other forms of Christianity, which suited me. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, all, all the experiential stuff makes me just a little, I don't know, it's okay for other people, no sure. judging. But right. I, for me, it's just, I don't know. Um, so I was really drawn into that and actually ended up marrying one of the people that I had met in college whose family was um, a big Christian Reconstructionist family. So I traveled in that world for, uh, and this is all in the preface to the book. You'll read it when you read the book. Uh, I traveled in that world for more than a decade. Wow. Um, but we split and... Um, it just increasingly became not convincing to me to be true. Mm. I read it in the way that a lot of um, college sophomores read things like Ayn Rand or, or Karl Marx for that matter. And it's like, Oh my God, this theory, this explains everything. Right. Uh -huh. I don't know if you ever went through that stage, but uh, lots <laughs> <I did. laughs> of, yeah, lots of young college students who are really, uh, they're, um, they're intellectually oriented college students. That's why they do it. You know, the other right. uh, other college students don't get all wrapped up in Ayn Rand, right? Um, so uh, as I'm now very suspicious of theoretical models that tend to explain everything. Mm. Um, that seems naive to me. But mm. at the time, um, it seemed really in ways irrefutable. Um, and and um, so I... I, I I stayed in that world because I thought it was true, mm. but I increasingly came to think that it wasn't true, mm. um, that the biblical foundations that they put forth were really problematic. And in fact, I came to think the Bible itself is pretty problematic. And, and so as I lost my commitment to the idea that this is, this, this has to be true, there's not any a good argument against it. Right. Um, I was no longer there. Um mm. But that's different than a lot of people's journeys, right? Because a lot of people are experientially wrapped up in a religious community. So yeah. the realization that, oh, this isn't true, doesn't undo it for them. Mm. So I don't know. Anyway, that was all another lifetime ago. <laughs> Went to grad school, uh, did a PhD at UC Santa Barbara. Um, I teach at the University of North Florida. Wow. Religious okay. studies. Okay. So, yeah. so, you know, our audience, most of the people that, that you're talking to right now probably grew up in some form of like a main line or non-denominational evangelical kind of flair. Okay. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us who maybe have walked out of those spaces are realizing like terms like Christian nationalism, you know, we're starting to understand, okay, like, so something is deeper in these waters I was swimming in. I didn't really know what it was at the time. Oh, that's I'm a trying... wonderful image there. Something's deeper in the water I was swimming in that I didn't realize. I, that's really good. 
Thank you. <laughs> it's all yours if you want to use it. I, Thank I, I, you. Thank just, you. It's just a phrase I, I use. I'm always trying to, you know, part of my work is to try and put words to what a lot of people in our circles are feeling, right? And and a lot of us feel this way. Like, you know, another way I, I framed it to a friend of mine the other day was like, something was a little smelly, but I couldn't figure out what it was. So I stayed anyway. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I got to, I got to, I got to track this down. And that kind of brought me maybe two years ago into this world of like, wow, there's some other stuff I didn't recognize was happening. And and part of that was this term Christian reconstructionism. And I don't think a lot of people, including myself, are really super clear. Like I hear terms like that. I hear terms like theotomy, Christian nationalism. I'm, I'm like, okay, are these overlapping? Are they separate? So could you kind of break down for us, what is Christian reconstructionism, you know, specifically, like when you talk about it, how are we defining it? Okay. Well, there's two answers to that question. Um, And that's kind of what the book is about. The first answer is that there's a small cohort of thinkers and writers who started at the very beginning of the second half of the 20th century. So really in the late 50s, early 60s, and then kind of flourishing into the 70s, writing a series of books and holding Bible studies in churches across the country and building a network of people who embraced a version of Presbyterian Protestant Christianity that was slightly different than others. You know, I I suppose you could call it fundamentalist. Mm. Um, But so just in terms of how those thinkers articulated what it meant to be a Christian, Mm. there's some distinctives that would, that that will help people make sense out of this. So one of them is the idea of, uh, well, it comes out of the Reformation called um, uh, the so- the unity of scripture, sorry, the unity of scripture. So Christian reconstructionists embrace an idea that the, that the, that the, the Old Testament and the New Testament are a continuing revelation that isn't, that, that there's no disjuncture. Mm. Uh, so, so it, 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 it all be, it all is the Bible. Um, there's a there. The, it's old and new in the sense that part of it for them points toward the coming of Christ, and part of it looks back to the coming to the to mm. Christ's resurrection. Um, but the the distinction that many modern Christians make about the Bible being divided into this, and uh, which uh, in, incidentally is a, is an understanding of the Bible that I now think of as deeply anti-Semitic. But mm. an idea that the Old Testament is this angry, wrathful God that was replaced by a God of love in the new Testament. Mm. Uh, and those kinds of Christians only go to the old Testament when they want to talk about Genesis, right? <laughs> right. They don't want to talk about the genocide in Deuteronomy. They don't right, want to talk right. about any of that, right? <laughs> right but these right. Christians are okay with that. They see the Bible as a continuing revelation. So everything contained in the old Testament and the new Testament is still operative for us. Now, mm operative in different ways because some of it is ceremonial that isn't that might not be binding on us so for example christian reconstructionists divide over whether or not contemporary christians are obligated to keep old testament dietary regulations they're so divided I, on that they they are divided on that yeah so some do well because if it's a ceremonial practice that is described in the Old Testament that points toward the coming of Jesus, its purpose has been fulfilled, so you don't have to do it anymore. But the so, but like so many things, which kinds of requirements are ceremonial and which kinds are some other thing is a point of debate. Mm. So Christian reconstructions don't don't agree on everything. There's lots of points where they they disagree with each other. Mm. Um, we could talk about more of those. One of them is where to apply the death penalty, which is a really interesting debate. Uh, I'm going to mark that down to come back to that. Okay. I have questions right, about death right. penalty. So anyway, yes. they use the entirety of the of the Bible, Old and New Testament, and they believe that the law articulated in the Old Testament is still applicable. And their goal is to reconstruct all of society. That's the name Reconstructionist, such that everything will be governed by biblical law. So this is where they get the argument that they aren't really political. Because for them, political is this very narrow, like, let's go work in a campaign for an election. But right. that's not what they mean. They have an overarching idea that the Bible speaks to every area of life. And that not that we should or will live in a theocratic world, but we do live in a theocratic world. The Bible is authority. And you can accept that or reject it. But it is, in fact, Rushdie called it inescapable. 
right? It is the reality for them. Mm-hmm. And therefore should be mapped on to a society regardless of what you might believe about that. Is that kind of the idea? I struggle a little bit with should be because in their view, it actually already is, <laughs> right? Oh. We're just violating God's law all over the place because it's already there. So, but. Oh my but, God. Wait, can I pause for one second? Isn't, should uh, be isn't entirely wrong. You just made a big connection for me in a lot of ways because I hear from a lot of people, and I'm not sure if these are reconstructionists or not. So I'm not saying that they are, but. I hear from, like, I follow James White, for example, or Doug Wilson, and they use that language all the time of, like, yes, of like you're in violation or this violates the law. Okay, so that, that what you just said really clicks for me of, like, it's not a matter of should. It already is, and we're just violating that, that order, that law, and that's the problem. So that, right. that helps very much. Right. Thank you for clarifying that. And so – so much here. It's hard to sort. Um, I want, I, I'll come back to the kind of narrow understanding of what Christian Reconstructionism, although that's not a bad start there. Okay. Uh, there's two more terms I'll throw out and then we could move on from that. So one is their post-millennial, right? So that is that I believe that the kingdom of God was established at the resurrection. So cr- historically, Christians have disagreed over eschatology, that is theologies about what the culmination of history is, right? right. So we have a lot of Christians that think that there's this kind of end time cataclysm with the rapture and all of that. These Christians aren't that. They think that this is the kingdom of God and it's up to Christians to establish it by working out the implications of biblical law in all of culture. Mm. Okay. So it's the unity of scripture. Okay. It's it's um postmillennialism. Okay. And dominion theology. Aha. Uh-huh. So dominion theology is the title that's given to that outworking of all of this stuff in the in the whole culture. Right? Dominion theology follows from the postmillennialism. Yes. And we have various permutations of dominion theology now, so there's a whole charismatic version of it that has its start with the reconstructionists, but it kind of lives on its own now. Okay? That makes so much sense. Thank you for clarifying that. Back there. <laughs> like in the 80s, Gary North was hanging out with some uh, some charismatics and he thought oh this is the way to spread biblical law the gospel however he phrased it right so mm. it's there but they but they're kind of different from each other yes now okay okay so that's the sort of narrow understanding but what my book is about is i i, I like the ter- terminology of a kind of sociology of knowledge i like to think about how do viewpoints ideas worldview constructions, how do they make their way out into the larger culture? Yes. And in that sense, our conservative right wing is really infused with Christian reconstructionism. They don't know it. They don't see it. They don't label it that way. They don't trace it back that way. But as I write in the book, very few Christians know anything about Augustine. And yet without Augustine, they would not have anything close to the version of Christianity they have. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they can't label it and name it and identify where it came from doesn't make it not part of the warp and woof of the culture. Mm. Um, and, and the mechanism by which the Christian reconstructionists accomplished that was their fundamental critique of public education. They oh, wanted to dismantle public schools, eliminate them, and replace them with Christian education. And in the early years with Rush Dooney, that was Christian schools. Um, and, and the whole Christian school movement had its origins in the work of Rush Dooney. He argued that he made a, an argument in favor of the kind of theological requirement for Christians to have their kids in Christian schools. He went before um, court judges and argued that it was a matter of religious freedom. So he secured the rights of parents to um, a limit to to sideline any kinds of truancy laws or anything like that um, to l- create this autonomy for Christian schools. He argued for what the curriculum should look like, and it looks a whole lot like what Christian Reconstructionists believe. Um, so he was at the he was at the very founding of this Christian school movement. Christian school movement gave way in the eighties and nineties to the Christian homeschool movement, right. but it still rested on all of those foundations. They use curriculum that has been developed by Christian Reconstructionists and pulled out of Christian schools and put into homeschools. Uh, the legal cases that challenged whether parents could legally just keep their kids at home all relied on the arguments that Rush Dooney made for it being a matter of religious freedom. 
the Christian homeschoolers will tell you that it, they believe that it's biblically mandated because re- uh, education is within the province of the family and not the state. This is Russian through and through. So they put in place an alternative to the public school system to undermine, eliminate, and replace public education. And that by that mechanism, the ways in which they wanted to reshape the world made their way out into a really broad version of Christianity, specifically in the U.S. is where really where I'm talking about. Regardless of whether those homeschool parents know anything about this, they go to a homeschool uh, convention that is highly likely to even be run and organized by people who identify as Christian Reconstructionists. They get curriculum and they go to meetings and they do all kinds of things, all of which are infused with the worldview of Christian Reconstructionism, and they may never, ever know it. Um, okay. Wow. (laughs) Um, this is, I I can't explain to you because how helpful this is because again, if the audience is listening, they're probably putting a lot of pieces together because we have covered, like, for example, we've done some work on, on showing how, um, even the Christian private school movement was tied into segregation as well with, uh, (laughs) with, um, uh, what's his name? Jerry Falwell kind of, you know, being a big leader in that movement. Right. So, but, but seeing kind of even one layer deeper of what undergirds so much of that is so helpful because I even think about today, right? So for example, um, I'm not sure if you know who Charlie Kirk is, Turning Point, Turning Point Faith, right? Well, he just had uh, a pastor summit a couple of days ago as of this recording. Yes. And I saw some video and there was Vadi Bakum homeschool yeah. rhetoric there. Right. And I'm like, oh, this is so interesting because because Jack Hibbs from Calvary and other charismatic people were there as well. Vadi uh-huh. and them have no alignment theologically, but there's something deeper uniting yeah, this. Yeah, there's and, alignment. Yeah, yep. Okay. And Vadi and is, uh, was glue. Wow. in the 80s and 90s when I was doing the field work for the book uh, or doing a lot, going to more like the 90s, I guess, when I was going to um, Christian Reconstructionist conventions and stuff, Vadi was often a speaker. So he like so American Vision conferences. Vadi Beecham was. Uh, I, I never knew how to say his name. Bakum. How do you uh, say his name? I believe it is Vadi Bakum. Okay, that's what I've I believe. Always said, yeah, I've always <laughs> mispronounced it because I've only seen it in writing. Right? Sure. I've never really sure. Heard any? It. Um, wow, this is yeah, so, so he, helpful. So it's all there. It's just like this big pot where they threw in all the stuff and they stirred it. And lit the fire. <laughs> well, and I was homeschooled for nine years. Okay, I, uh-huh. I grew up on on a Becca curriculum. I did paces uh-huh. for a bit. I did some Bob Jones satellite stuff for a while. Yeah. And my parents, they got saved later on in their life, like 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 late teens, early twenties. And so they kind of just found a church, and that church that was very fundamentalist just yeah. told them that you homeschooled to not have your kids, you know. Um, um, affected by the world's culture, right? My okay. parents, like you, like you so, like you said, they don't know what what was pushing some of that, right? They, my parents have no idea to this day who this is, but I still was a part of a lot of that maybe ideology of like protect our kids. The public school system is bad. You can't trust the teachers. And then I think about one more thought that I'll give it back to you. Even today, that that's really rebranded with like other boogeymen. Oh, CRT in the schools, pull your kids out. Oh, grooming in the schools, pull your kids out. Is that some of that same just reconstructionism rhetoric being rebranded and repackaged and, and thrown out there? I got to tell you, in preparation for our little conversation, I pulled out the book because I haven't read it in a little while. And, you know, even when you write something, you forget what you've written. <laughs> sure. And there's a whole section in there on race that I, because the book came out in 2015, right? Right, right. There's a whole section in there taking quotes out of Rush Dooney that could be word for word what the anti-CRT people are using. My goodness. Yeah. Wow. This, this and, stuff blows and, my mind. Uh, I got to be honest I, with that you. That blew my mind. <laughs> I mean, it is. I was like, I just can't believe that that's there. And if I could find it, if take I your find time. Page find number. It. Go for it. Uh, I, I'm not audience, going to. audience, as as Julie is doing this, I just want to point out to you as I'm talking to you. I mean, I can't express here that if you missed some of this conversation, you should go back and re-listen because so much of what Julie is explaining to us is the glue, is, 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 is a foundation of what so much of us see now. So to put it maybe in a different language, maybe you see that maybe we're seeing the top of the dandelion. Julia's giving us so many of the roots that really um, underpin this, all of this rhetoric that seems so hard to piece together. Like, you know, you know, when, when you can kind of see, okay, I know it's tied, but I can't see how I feel like this stuff is giving us the, the little, 
the little networks and ties of, oh, okay, this makes more sense. So I just want to tell them, you know, if, if they've tuned out during any of this while driving, I, I get that. I do that sometimes. Go back and re-listen because it is, it's so important to understand. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. I can't find it on the spot, but I will tell you that in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, Rushdie wrote a book called Politics and Guilt Manipulators or something like that. And he lays out the... He lays out the argument against thinking carefully about the role of our of racist policies in shaping what we now think of as white privilege, right? But that language didn't exist yet, right? So he right. But he 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 wrote oh, this whole book was about how that approach to thinking about things is designed by leftists. Marxist is probably what he said at the time <laughs> to to create a world where the whites can have can be guilted and manipulated into supporting certain policies that are unbiblical. And wow. he goes at length about why that's wrong and what the problem with it is. And the language and the arguments are exactly what you're hearing in the wow. fight over CRT. And of course, the fight over CRT was seven years in the future when I wrote the book. Right. I included that discussion about that about Rushdie's book, but I I didn't know where that was going to go but that's where it is well that reminds me of uh Catherine stewart's book the power worshipers that was mm -hmm. written in 2020 and she says they want uh, the evangelicals want to pack the court to overturn roe v wade and then i read that this year and go oh my goodness she's another prophetic moment of just like that's exactly what has happened and it, it is it's just very interesting to, to see these pieces come together unfortunately for me i'm learning this after the fact you know i'm, I'm a little new to, to some of these spaces but it is it is really unbelievable the work that 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 you've done could you talk a little bit about about rush dooney who is rush dooney i've heard this name more and more can you give us a little bit of background on this person uh, yeah, yeah. Um, he uh, was a Presbyterian uh, minister ordained by the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Um, he be, he fell under the sway of a professor at Westminster Theological Seminary, although, as I understand it, he didn't get his degree at Westminster, and I've forgotten where he actually did get his degree. Mm. But uh, Cornelius Van Til wrote about apologetics uh, and, and a, an approach to apologetics that he labeled presuppositionalism, which is another one of these underlying frameworks that I would have gotten to if we'd have kept going off in that direction. But presuppositionalism pre, pre is the argument that all knowledge is based fundamentally on presuppositions that can't be proven. And that theologically speaking, ultimately, there are only two possible presuppositions, the authority of God, or original sin, the attempt by human beings to maintain a sense of autonomy from the authority of God. So, mm, wow. so you have this kind of, for Reconstructionists, there's Christian Reconstructionism and its way of looking at the world and how we ought to be and our, you know, God's authority. And then there's everything else. So there is no sort of world religions because... Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Zion, any of it, uh, any of those different religious traditions are really all assumed under this label, secular humanism, which you've probably <laughs> heard, right? And by humanism, they mean this elevation of human autonomy, uh, of the autonomy of the human intellect over against the authority of God. So it all, for, for presuppositionalists, everything comes down to making one of those two choices. And if you decide that you wish to uh, uh, know good and all good and evil for yourself, sure. If you if you choose to do that, you are elevating your own reason above the authority of God and claiming autonomy for your own reason. And that's these are the two possible presuppositions for all knowledge. You can only be one or the other for wow. Christian Reconstructionists. And this was this is drawn from Van Til, although um, Rushdie's variation on it is slightly different. Rushdie takes it and runs with it a little bit, um, but he. But that's kind of the start for him, um, mm. and that was very very early. He worked as a missionary um, on Indian reservations, mm. uh, but ultimately, um, through most of his life, he spent at this retreat center um, uh, that he calls he called Calcedon. 
I know the conference is called Chalcedon, but they always called it Chalcedon for the center. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and it's in Vallecito, California. It still exists. His son, Mark, runs the organization now. Um, but he um, he just wrote and wrote and wrote. I have shelves of shelves of his books back here. Um, <laughs> so is it is it kind of safe to say that he is kind of like the the father of modern day reconstructionism? Yes. Okay, so he's yes. kind of like the originator. The, his books are the influential writings yes. on this subject. Yep. Interesting. And, and that, then I'd say yeah. the second most important person is or was until and re- recently he died. Uh, Russian son-in-law Gary Noy. Okay, would be the next most important figure. Okay. Interesting. Um, you know, you mentioned a little earlier that that you were in the, this movement for almost ten years, almost a decade. Is that mm-hmm. right? What was yeah. the moment for you where you were like, eh, I don't know. I think that I uh, it wasn't exactly a moment. Mm. It wasn't exactly just a moment. Um, and and for again, you know, for me, it was a. Uh, it was an intellectual journey. Sure. Right. Um, I, I I came to see, well, I, I came to see, first of all, the, the, the first argument they make is that if the Bible is not true, then nothing is true and we can't know anything and everything is up for grabs. You've probably heard that before. Oh, so, so and that, much. That is, that is deeply scary and troubling. So, okay. Except that... At at 23, that was deeply troubling and scary. By 25, it was even a little scarier because I realized that's no argument that the Bible's true. Maybe everything really is just, maybe there isn't a found, I, I had about midway through this process, I had, I would just, I would have described myself as a foundationalist without a foundation. <laughs> um, yeah. And eventually, I just, I just became more comfortable with the idea that there maybe isn't a foundation that. You know, there isn't any incontrovertible knowledge. And right. their claim that the Bible is that is is really faulty. Um, I I read a lot of um oh who's the New Testament professor who wrote um uh, oh my goodness. I mean I the, is he a skeptic? Bart Ehrman. Yes. Bart Ehrman, yeah. I was I was say Bart Ehrman. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, oh, okay, wait a minute. This is a this isn't a this isn't a book. This right. is a collection of fragments of books yeah. that we don't really have. Right. The scholars have done their best to piece together in what order they think that the fragments most likely make sense. They even disagree about that. And that's even before you get to any kinds of translations. And, totally. And it's all, I suppose my training in sociology of religion had a lot to do with this too, because I very much came to recognize the degree to which any understanding of a text is not the text itself, but it, but a conversation between a community and the text. Yes. And I suppose that's how I get around to a sort of softer, it, it's not the radical um, relativism that the foundationalists were using as a boogeyman, right? It's a, it's a softer relativism. It's a softer foundationalism, right? So it's, mm. the conversation that the community has about the text is what gives meaning to the text. Yes. And apart from that, and and a a great example of that is all the ways in which the supposedly inerrant, infallible Bible has been read completely differently by presumably well-meaning, honest readers. (laughs) Right. A hundred percent. I mean, you, I, I got to say, I, I guarantee you the audience, when you just said all that was like, yes, exactly. Because again, even though a lot of us, including myself, weren't, weren't maybe officially in the Reconstructionist circles, that idea of the Bible is ultimate authority, it is ultimately objectively true, that, that is very much deeply ingrained in, in, in almost yeah. all evangelicals, no matter where you go on the theological spectrum. Mm-hmm. And like you said, once you start asking honest questions, and the answers are truthful, right? Here's what we have. Here's what we don't have. We don't have any of the original manuscripts, okay? It, it really becomes like a moment where you said, where you're like, well, if, if it is this is truth or nothing, I'm really in a lot of trouble here because-, because, because This is I'm, not convincing. <laughs> right, right. And then you think about, like you said earlier, you know, it does not take um, a rocket scientist to, to look even today to see how the assemblies of God believe in speaking in tongues. 
right? More conservative Baptists do not. They're reading the same book, right? right. Or, or, or a collection of books, I should really say. And so that, it just kind of, it, it's a self-evident almost truth in a way that like, well, it's, you might want to call it objective truth and that there's only one way to read it, but that's not how Christians ever have seen this. And I think and for a lot of people- there is one way to read it that's objectively true, we haven't found it. Right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And and so I, I think that is what is maybe for me, I think at this point in my own journey of just kind of rethinking my faith, I call it disentangling my faith, just trying to rethink about things and explore the Christian tradition. When I hear folks in these circles talk about the Bible and God's authority, I know a lot of them, they have their masters, they have PhDs. I don't know how they, they say that seriously. Right. With, like, I, they have to know how we got the Bible or our, our modern day Bible. They have to know that the Eastern Orthodox Bible is different than, is different than the Catholic Bible, is different than the Protestant Bible. No yet, kidding. <laughs> right. Yet they make these claims of like absolutism. I, I just don't understand maybe the mindset anymore of, of, of how they can do that with a straight face. Does that make sense? Well, I do think it's terribly scary to realize that if if we don't have a solid foundation, we are kind of swimming in a you know, yeah. I, we don't have the clarity that many of us would like to have. I wanted that. Yes. I, I, Same. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think it's there. I mean, <laughs> so Pete I, oh, sorry, instead of trying to yeah. make up some clarity, I decided to try to become a little more comfortable with the lack of clarity and muddle yes. through in some way that works. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people who do that end up being, I think, the, the the mechanism that you you draw on to function with that mm. often ends up being things like kindness, generosity, honesty, yeah, and you, and striving for those kind of things because they seem better than not. So the kind of so the the sort of intellectualized argument about something becomes well. You once you realize the limits of yeah, see, I'm gonna sound postmodern here, but once you realize the the real limits of of pure objective rationalizing about your way through a, a an intellectual theoretical problem, once you realize that I, I still do a lot of that. I a lot a good portion of my work is theoretical, mm. so I still do that, but I do it with a with a much softer hand yes knowing how deeply wrong i have been <laughs> same right <laughs> wow i got that wrong <laughs> my facebook reminds me every day hey 10 years ago you said this i'm like dang it delete 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 you know <laughs> I, I totally get that. I mean, Pete ends, you know, Dr. Pete ends, whatever, you know, he says like, listen, regardless of the Bible you want, this is the Bible that we have. Like we have, we have to take it on its own terms and just kind of deal with it. So um, anyway, you know, I didn't mean to go too far down that, that, that side note, uh, you know, that rabbit trail, but it's helpful to, to hear you say that because a lot of people that listen to this are navigating their faith and they feel like, like, like it's one of two options, right? Like you said, either yes. it's God's absolute truth, or we're just trying to put our own intellect, intellect above God and we're, we're, we're in rebellion. And to hear people say like, Hey, I've been there. And there are ways out of that, that lead to kindness and gratitude and healing and wholeness is very, it, I think it's very cathartic. I didn't say for wholeness, a lot of us. You added that. <laughs> well, I, you're right. That, that is Tim's, uh, Tim's, uh, addition to maybe your, your, your paraphrase there, but that's the kind of concept anyways, is that maybe there are, there are better ways forward than just these two options is what I'm trying to say. You know, um, I wanted to ask you regarding, you know, your book was written in 2015. What have you seen since as far as like the reconstructionist movement? Have you seen it really take more ground? I, I, is it, I'm seeing Christian nationalism. I'm hearing a lot of overlap as you're talking. What have you seen yeah. in the past you know, six to seven years since, since the writing, writing of, of your book? Well, honestly, uh, my book is more about the influence of Christian reconstructionism than it is the, something you could call the Christian reconstructionist movement. I think those guys early on tried to start a movement, and I don't think that they succeeded as to, at, with their movement. But what they did do created a huge amount of influence. And so they're, they're, that influence is everywhere. And I see more and more of it. Um, I see more of the things that they tr articulated as goals mm. um, coming to fruition on a day-to-day -day basis. It's shocking and disturbing. When I started, when I, you know, I, I left this world and I, I really just left it. I didn't write this book for 
20 years after mm. having left it, right? Mm. And in those intervening years, well, when I first started writing about them, uh, um, I thought of them as this sort of quirky, unusual. I do get a real kick out of trying to see the world through the eyes of somebody else. Like how much, how, how much can I get inside somebody's head so that I can just look at what, look at something that makes no sense to me at all and go, Oh, I see how that looks to them. Right. Yes. I like that. It's fun for me. That's how you study religion. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And at first I thought, Oh, well, I know quite a bit about this move, this what movement or group. I know quite a bit about this and it's really foreign to most people and I can translate and I can show people how this radically different way of looking at the world makes sense to somebody. Mm. But I thought them as quirky and interesting and I didn't think that they, that it was going anywhere. Right. In fact, I used to say that all of the, you know, reconstructionists like argue that there should be the death penalty for homosexuality. Right. Um, And usually back in the, you know, Back in 2005, if somebody was writing about them, that's where they went. Uh, you'll see it. Uh, R.J. Rushdie, comma, who advocated stoning homosexuals, comma, right? So it was just like a, a tagline that was attached to the end of his name. And as horrific as that idea is and as ridiculous it is that someone would think that, at the same time, it seemed so preposterous and so far removed from reality I, I wrote many pieces arguing that we aren't looking, we, we're going to miss the influence of these people because we're only looking over here at the far crazy stuff that they said that isn't, and I would say that isn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. And instead of looking at their strategies for undermining public education, which are happening all over the place, we aren't looking at that because we're busy talking about some part of what he said that's nuts, but not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And now I'm not so sure it's not going to happen. Right. No. So, so that we, the culture has shifted substantially. Yes. In the direction of the kinds of policies that the early movement advocated, and I, and I don't really think of it as how where is the movement now. I don't know that there is a movement, right? But there doesn't need to be a movement when all kinds of people are now using your materials and have embraced your ideas and are putting them into into legislation across the country. You know, one of the other big things that they did was they advocated that states' rights wasn't cent- wasn't decentralized enough. And that really what the, what was biblical was what we would call county rights. And so they advocated for these the power of these lesser magistrates. In particular, they talked about sheriffs being legitimate leaders and authorities who could lead an uprising and, and reject. In fact, I was reading, again, I read, read today, that can, that can overturn what would otherwise seem to be a legitimate um, policy put forth by a president. So they want sheriffs to have the authority to overthrow the federal government. And where are we right now? We're awfully close to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I also so think I about, I think about uh, also uh, like the Jeff Durbin types advocating for the death penalty for women who get abortions. That's another thing that I've seen that just seems so like, I, I didn't think we'd ever be here, but this is like a serious conversation yeah. people were advocating for. Uh, is that also kind of tied into some of this as well regarding regarding how the death penalty works in, in, Most in the reconstruction of the work that, Well, in theory, I, it would take some extrapolation. They didn't talk about that, okay. but they didn't talk about it because it was it wasn't it wasn't a, a live concern, right? Yeah. They they be- certainly believe in the death penalty for murdering babies, and they believe that take that abortion is the murder of an innocent child. Mm. So by virtue of those two things together, they believe in the death penalty for a woman mm. who has an abortion mm. and a doctor who performs one and apparently an Uber driver who also takes the woman to the doctor's office. I don't know if that's the case, whether the Uber driver knows where the doctor, I, I don't know. Um, so you could, ex- you can certainly extrapolate, but that's not something that I am familiar with them having written about. Okay. Um, can you maybe speak on the, the difference or if it's the same thing, what theonomy is versus like reconstructionism. Are you familiar with, with that term at yes, all? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's not theonomy versus reconstruction. Theonomy is a literally means God's law. Right. So theonomy is the, is the theological term that they use to talk about biblical law that they believe should be applied to uh, contemporary society. Okay. Okay. So to That's say helpful. I'm a theonomist would be to say that I believe we should apply biblical law to contemporary society. Hmm. Uh, one of the earliest, most important articulators of uh, this 
school of thought that is called theonomy is Greg Bonson, and he was a Reconstructionist. Okay. So when I said the sort of Russianese first and North is second, yeah, kind of in a third tier, you have people like Greg Bonson, um, David Chilton, Jim Jordan, Ray Sutton. Those are all authors that wrote um, they wrote important works that were th- that were Christian Reconstructionists who they identified with that label. They saw themselves as taking Rushduni's work and 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 playing out the implications of it in various aspects of culture. Uh, you know, because like Rushduni didn't, didn't write a book about how to um, how to destroy public schools. He just argued that they were unbiblical and we shouldn't have them. Um, uh, Ray Sutton talks specifically about running for school board with with the hidden strategy of um, defunding public education at every part, start possible. And and how did he say it? He said something about and like uh, filling filling the public education realm with so much red tape that you mm. could strangle every member of the National Education Society with it. You know, like really. So Sutton wrote about how to, what happens when the rubber hits the road. With, right. With his ideas, his theology, his philosophy is over here. How does that play out in everyday life? What, what does that look like? Um, in fact, Gary North did a whole series called the Biblical Blueprint Series, where he, he asked the question, okay, so if we've embraced Christian Reconstructionists, what does that mean for all these different aspects of society? And he had people write books about different realms of society, and Sutton wrote one of them. And that's where that quote comes from. And to promote the book a little bit, there's a whole chapter. You don't have to read all 11 volumes of the Biblical Blueprint series. You could read, I think it's chapter three, where I sort of sort out what those things look like. And what kind of a world would we have if Christian Reconstructionists were in charge and could do it exactly what they wanted. What would it mm. what would it look like? Okay, maybe this is a shot in the dark. So if it is, just shoot it down. But is there any connection with like Betsy DeVoe uh, as the education secretary? Because I, I, I read a little bit about her and like the whole De- DeVoe legacy. It mm-hmm. sounds like we're in the waters here. We are. Um, I, that's not to say that Betsy. I, I say DeVos, but again, I don't know which. It I'm is. guessing too. I'd be honest um, with you. <laughs> So um, that's not to say that I'm claiming she's a Christian Reconstructionist. Right. Although I did write uh, for Religion Dispatches uh, during the early Trump years. And I had an article there called Shades of Christian Reconstructionism that is about her and about the connections. So here's how that works. And it's a really good illustration of the larger point that you don't have to be a Christian Reconstructionist for it to matter. Mm. So DeVos is part of a Christian reform tradition which is very um, Calvinist in its orientation. Rushduni, part of Christian uh, Christian uh, Orthodox Presbyterianism, very Calvinist. James White, for example, also very Calvinist, <laughs> yes. right? So yes. in the, uh, and also that you were talking about that Turning Point USA thing, the guy who heads up Alpha and Omega Ministries, what's his That's name? That's James White is Alpha and Omega. Is that? Okay. Definitely well, okay. James White for Alpha so and Omega. So they have all their conferences together. They all agree on sort of basic Calvinism and the historic uh, Reformation-oriented kind of Christianity. And so I I guess, you know, I think James White is the apologist, but I think there's another guy who's the sort of president and CEO of it. But anyway, I I was at a conference that was a Christian Reconstructionist conference where this other, where Alpha and Omega Ministries was the sponsor of the conference. And I asked, what are the ties here? And he said, well... We have kind of different views about we we sort of I disagree with them on theonomy a little bit, right? But mm. th- there was no specific place where they were actually different. Mm. And and because of Betsy DeVos's history in Christian education, she has been um seeped in Christian reconstructionist stuff for her adult life. Mm. Because you can't be part of the Christian education scene in the U.S. without having uh, contact mm. with the Christian Reconstruction. For example, those those private Christian schools, many of them were largely illegal until Rush Dooney fought in the courts to have them recognized, again, as a religious freedom right. Mm-hmm. So if your kids are in Christian schools, 
And those Christian schools exist in a way that's autonomous from the regulations of the state, which is most of them. Yeah. Then uh, your Christian school is impacted by Rushton. You might not know who he is. You might not be aware of this. That doesn't make you a Christian reconstructionist, but it does mean that he has touched your life. And that's just like one little sliver of it. Right. Yeah. And because Betsy DeVos's whole agenda is dismantling public education. Right. She's working hand in hand with the Christian reconstructionists, even if you don't want to say that she is one. I don't I tend not to say so and so is a Christian. Nobody. They all want to distance themselves from the label because Rush Dooney said we should we should stone gay people. So nobody really wants to use that label. So what happens when you try to talk about the influence of Christian reconstructionists, if you start pointing to people and putting the label on them, the whole discussion gets sidelined into whether or not you can call them Christian reconstructionists. So I don't want to call them that. That's not my, that's not my direction. Right. I want to see where did the Christian reconstructionist worldview go? Where can right. we find the the bits and pieces of it out there where it's affecting everybody? Right. Where it's impacting the world. And you don't have to be a Christian reconstructionist. You can be um Marjorie Taylor Greene is probably, she's, I don't know what she, I don't know her, I don't know. She certainly doesn't have theological sophistication enough to be able to claim to be or not be a theonomist, right? Right. Like, this is not a conversation she's ever engaged in. Right. And yet, she is at the forefront of making the world more closely aligned with the vision Christian Reconstructionists put forth 60 years ago. Yeah. Wow. All right, one last question for you on this, and then we'll uh, get ready to, we'll get ready to wrap up. And I, I again, Julie, just to say, really amazing stuff. Thank you for coming on and making the time. It's very kind of you. Thank you. I, 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 if we I, run out of time. We could do it again another time. That'd it's be fun. wonderful. It, it's 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 fun for you. It's informative for us. So we, I guess we all get to win. Um, my last question is: Is there any? I'm thinking now about uh, Doug Wilson. You know, Canon Press, and and you know, I, I've I've read some articles on him. I've covered him a little bit. Seems like he's really, he's really trying to take over the town over in Moscow, Idaho, in a lot of ways. Is is, is there again? Is this another like 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 reconstructionist influence? Maybe we won't call a reconstruction a reconstructionist, but mm-hmm. are there elements here that maybe Doug is like? Well, if we're going to realize this vision, might as well start in the town. Is that kind of a thing based yes, on your, uh, your knowledge? Um, mm. So Doug will. So one of the things you have going on in these is that. The leaders are all male and they're all pretty uh, sure of themselves. Let's go with that. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> we'll and so, you know, there's this notorious rift between Rush Journey and North and people want to say that it's about this theology or about that. Yeah, no, they were two guys who had to be in charge and had to have their own thing be the re- the real thing. So they couldn't get along. Right. Mm. And I think Doug Wilson is another one of those. So, so he, he, he was always all in these circles and he's certainly all in the, in the swimming in the water of the kind of reformed world still now the the Calvinist Piper, those guys. Okay. And his, so his book slavery as it was is making all the same kinds of arguments that Rush Dooney made about slavery um, earlier there's tons and tons of crossover there, but mm. but um, Wilson labeled his biblical law and his theonomy. He didn't use that language. He talked about this federal vision. Yes, federal okay. vision. Yeah, so right. I, it, it's different in the way that Baptists are different from Methodists, <laughs> right? But it's not different in the way that um, uh, Buddhists would see, <laughs> right. if you know what I mean, right? Uh, totally, um, totally. So I, I yeah I, I'm not, there's a little bit about him in the book although I didn't go at length at him and there is a book that I finally just got my hands on about Christian reconstructionism in the West oh and I think it probably has a good bit more on Doug Wilson mm. um, than I do uh, I, you know I've read some of his work I've written about him here and there but it's not he's he's part of that world right yeah um, I, I think that, that that that's a fair you know statement i was just you know, one, of, one of the, the my book was reasonably well received um very well received by many but the one criticism that i got came from some really traditional historians who do kind of a intellectual history which is a very which to me feels very two-dimensional 
right? Because I, I do some of that kind of history, but then I also do field work, mm. which muddies the water tremendously. Mm. Um, and I they so the, at, toward the end of the book, I start I, I I loosen the grip a little bit, and I make connections between. Uh, the Christian Reconstructionist and David Barton in the Tea Party. There's a chapter <laughs> there, right? So okay, yeah. David Barton is not a Christian Reconstructionist, and Re- Reconstructionists won't claim him at all. And right. yet, <laughs> Wall Builder's website has articles that have Russian footnotes all through them, right? So it's there. And in addition to people like Wall Builders and the Tea Party and David Barton, I also talk about the Bundys, and I talk about Doug Wilson, and I talk about... Um, gun owners for America, and I talk about those those militia oriented groups, far right groups that are not explicitly Christian Reconstructionists in any way, except they they found a common cause in the Reconstructionist work, and um, there you. Well, I wouldn't say that they are Christian Reconstructionists. I don't see how you can separate the work that the Christian Reconstructionists did to the outcomes and the arguments that the Bundys made at their ranch mm. about not about about the federal government. Yeah. Okay. And I, I got that was the place of criticism is that I didn't have enough evidence to connect Christian Reconstructionists to the real far right militia violent kind of crazy stuff. Mm. Um, I think. The last five, seven years have borne out the truth of the observation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the whole time you've been talking, as I've been listening to you, I've been just kind of putting pieces together in my head of things that we've covered that 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 seem on the surface separate. But it seems like, and forgive maybe maybe the wording is is a little sloppy here, but it seems like like the ideology that you're describing is is in a lot of the oxygen that a lot, a lot of these people are breathing. Okay, so maybe they're in different locations. Maybe there's there's there, there's some there's some good. subtleties, yeah. but like there's certainly um, there's certainly um, you know something in in the air that a lot of them are breathing that 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 gives a lot of the same at least surface level um uh pushes you know like small government federal government you know more more states rights or local rights etc yeah. so i i don't think that 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 your statements are, are outlandish based on like you said what we've seen even over the past five or seven years even the push from the rhetoric of someone like charlie kirk right making more and more outlandish statements that you know mm-hmm. big government sucks big government's the problem uh, we need smaller government of uh, christians have to take back the country where i mean I, I literally covered someone named samuel duth who's a pastor over at Awakened Church. And he he kind of, uh, he criticized us on like an IG Live. And in part of that, he says that as Christians, his words, we're supposed to take dominion. He literally says the word. And I'm like, here you go. Like, we're not making this up. You know, this is what yeah. people absolutely believe as Again, maybe he, maybe he's not, or he, maybe he, he doesn't even know he's a reconstructionist or, or, or breathing in that that air. But the outcome is the idea that we have to be in control, we have to take over. God's law has to rule, whatever that, whatever that looks like, and that's how God designed it. And that's very much a lot of the underpinnings of what you're describing here, in my opinion. And calling it dominion tells me whatever version of it they're imbibing is. I tell that tells me where it's coming from. Yes. Right. Yes. I mean, Christians, the Catholic Church has long said that, you know, you should spread, go to other countries, colonize, create, create Catholics, you know, so that that idea is there. Right. But the idea of rebuilding society according to some vision about what it means to be a Christian society and calling that taking dominion. Right. That comes from that comes from Christian Reconstructionism, in my view. Bingo. You could you I'd listen to contrary evidence, but. And you use the you use the example of air with students. I often use the example of water, mm. like fish don't know they're in water until you take them out of water, right? right? It's just the it's the stuff. And we te- we're, the one of the influences of the Enlightenment is that we try to intellectually break things apart into categories and think of them as discrete and separate from each other. But that is a heuristic device. That's mm. a model. That's not really how the world works. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's helpful to do that. You know, if you're making a complicated argument with all kinds of parts, if we're going to actually have a reasoned conversation through it, we do have to separate out the parts. Otherwise, we're just jumping around and it's just arguing chaos, right? Right. So there's so there is value in that, but it is you know the the map is not the territory, right? right. This right. is it is just a device. It's just a model. And when you know, and we have that problem with religion in general. You know, people think that somehow 
you know, that, that, Buddhism is a, is a articulatable thing with walls around it. That's, that's separate from Judaism. That's mm. another articulated thing with walls around it and that you pick one or the other. Actually, no, it doesn't work that way at all. That's mm. a model <laughs> that we've imposed on reality. Reality is messy. Mm. It's very messy. And we pick and choose and we, we're, we make things really fluid. And this is one of the reasons that religion, you know, that once delivered to the saints is not how it works. It doesn't, it, it doesn't stay the same. Right. It changes all the time. Right. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Um, I want to respect your time. Uh, just Thank last you. final thoughts for you. Um, you know, any, any thoughts on just how, how we move forward? Like how do we, we, we resist this? Is there any way to stop what's happening in, in a healthy, non-othering, non-chaotic way? I I'm stuck on that. I don't know what to do. Any, any wisdom from you, Julie? I, 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 I bring the darkness. I always say, I always tell people that I have very good friends who bring the light. Diana Butler Bass is one of my oh, favorites. She fantastic. and I have been pals forever. Okay. Forever. Um, and we have conversations about this stuff all the time. Um, and I, I think she's naively optimistic, but in a good way, in yes. a needed way. Yes. And I am clearly the pessimist. Yeah. Right. I sure. see the, but you can't fix it without seeing how bad it actually is. And, but that, but so it's best for other people to kind of live in the middle, I think. But yeah. I'm not that person. Fair enough. I don't I'm, see this getting solved. I'm meeting Diana um, in October for we're doing some podcasting together. So I'm looking forward to meeting her. It's oh, great. Time. You're going to love yeah. her. She's wonderful. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, you know, Julia, again, I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule, getting back into classes and stuff and just sharing really your expertise on this. It's been, it's so informative, truly. And I hope you keep in touch so we can do it again. It, it, it was great having you. Maybe after you read the book, it'd be really fun. I love that. I'll take some notes. That'd be great. Okay. Thanks. Take care.